Ladies and gentlemen, we do thank you very much for your attention, and now we invite you to sit back, relax, and enjoy the Welcome to the Top Travel Destinations. I'm your host, Kevin Flanagan, here to use my 20 years of experience as a top travel writer with the Sunday Independent to show you where to stay, eat, shop, and explore when you visit the world's top travel destinations. So sit back and enjoy our journey together. Welcome to a very, very special edition of the Top Travel Destinations podcast. I'm here with someone, a very special person. Not only have I known him uh, since my son was just a wee toddler walking around, but he's been a big part of my life, as has his, is his father. And um, it's Anthony Walsh. He's a cyclist extraordinaire, a podcaster extraordinaire with his partner, Sarah. And he's going to do something really exciting today. He's going to give us his insight into if you're interested in taking a cycling holiday, where would you go and how would you go about going? And I say this because I know many of our listeners are into the fitness crack and they really are interested in making sure that the holiday may have elements of fitness and wellness. So you're very welcome, Anthony, and uh, it's so great to have such an experienced and old colleague on the show. Thank you for inviting me onto the show, Kevin. I've enjoyed your podcast so far. Christmas Market One was brilliant, and Bordeaux is definitely on the list of places I want to visit. So Great. it's cool to be here, Chad. Well, well, what would you say to people? So let's say we have a, a couple in their thirties or forties. Maybe they have you know a sort of semi teenage kids. They want to have an active holiday. They're not really into cycling, but they've heard it's good. I can remember when my son took his girlfriend for a two day trip round Bordeaux on a bike and loved it. What would you say to those who have not yet dipped their toe into the cycling recreational holiday market? What would you say to them? It's a fun way to enhance other experiences. I'm thinking about a podcast conversation I had on my own podcast and I had a, a guy called Colin O'Brady on the podcast and he was the first person to row across Drake Passage. And his story was brilliant to me. I'll give you a really shortened version of it. It was a particularly bad night weather-wise and him and his colleague that were trying to row across Drake Passage, they had to get into this crawl space in the boat and the crawl space was miserable. They got sick all night. They had to defecate on each other all night. It was disgusting. He paints a really graphic picture of it. But then when the storm eventually broke and he got up on the deck the next morning and the sun was rising, he said it was the most beautiful sunset he's ever experienced. And I think about sports like that and cycling for me is that even if you're not sporty, you can't tell me that the beer you have or the meal you have that evening doesn't taste crisper, doesn't have more taste because you've had that experience earlier on in the day. So exercise gives me a great counterpoint and a contrast to other areas of my life to help me enjoy them a little bit more. I think that that resonates with me as a skier because again, that's a holiday where you actually do need equipment like the bike we're going to be talking about, but also you get that three or four hours, which actually you're completely right. It, that's why Apres ski, and I suppose there must be an equivalent in Apres bike. Yep, beers at the end of the ride. It's a real thing. <laughs> so what, what, is cycling open to anybody of any age and any condition? Yeah, I think most of us had a bike when we were children and learned to ride then, but it, like I suppose it's a little bit more dangerous than going for a jog or going for skiing because you are navigating open traffic. So it is a good idea before you head off 
into a foreign environment that throws up a lot of unknowns that you do just get out in your local community and ride your bike on the streets and just see you're comfortable with, you know, looking over your shoulder when you're turning, riding safely in a straight line, stuff like that. But it's quite a low entry point and it's almost accessible to anyone of any fitness levels, especially with the advent of electric bikes. Because electric bikes now can mean you can have very, very modest fitness as long as you can turn your legs for 15, 20 minutes. You can explore free from traffic and free from public transport areas of the city that were previously impossible to reach. That's such a very good point. I was in Lake Garda, Limone, uh, recently with the grandkids and everybody was on an electric bike and they had designated pathways all around the, the lake and it's quite hilly. So I suppose the electric bike would be a sort of a perfect answer to a prayer. It's brilliant because it gets you out of, you know, you've traveled more than anyone I know almost. But you find a lot of people go to cities. I went to Bali a few years ago. And when I went to Bali, everyone was basically on the same itinerary. You start off in Seminac and then you kind of go into, you know, the central part, Ubud, and then everybody does the same thing and everybody has a very similar experience. So if you talk to anyone about Bali, it's like, we almost all have the same stories of the same cafes, the same nightclubs, the same surf schools. But when you talk to somebody who went exploring by either regular bike or e-bike, everyone's story is unique. Everyone's path is a little bit different. They find cafes and obscure lanes and street markets and you get out of tourist central, which is a brilliant way to experience a new environment. And what would you say about the seasons to be cycling in? It kind of depends where you're going. So, you know, it may be a good segue point into the places that I would recommend people go to. I love Girona in Spain, I suppose maybe more accurately in Catalonia. So it's about one hour from Barcelona. So you typically fly into Barcelona if you're going during the winter season, or there are some seasonal flights into Girona as well. It's Spain, so it does get super hot in the summer. And while most people, you know, normally like to go cycling in the summer, I actually think the winter is a better time to go to Girona. It's a beautiful medieval historic town and it's unspoiled by tourists for a large part of the year. But when you get into the summer periods, the cafes do get strong and the streets get busy. But over that winter period, you still have quite moderate temperatures where it's 15 to 19 degrees. So it's beautiful for cycling and you don't have that, you know, clamor of tourists all around the place. So it's quite a unique, beautiful experience. And what sort of cycling tracks would you use or, or, or paths would you use in Girona? That's the beauty of Girona. That's why I go back time and again. I've gone with friends there who are professional cyclists and I've gone with friends who can hardly cycle the bike at all. And Girona has such a beautiful infrastructure of cycling. So you can have coastal tracks that will go you know, anything from five to a hundred miles. You can have loose gravel tracks where you can get away from the cars and they're, you don't need any skill to ride these because they're quite tight packed gravel tracks and you can explore the kind of off the beaten track on those. Or if you're a little bit more adventurous, you can get out into the open roads or the Pyrenees aren't too far away and there's local mountain ranges. So there's as many routes as there is different types of fitness levels. So you can get out there and really have a different experience based on where your fitness is at that time. Okay, so that's very good. So, so a family, ideally, uh, uh, a mum, dad and two maybe teenage kids, they could navigate that. Yeah, the one caveat I'd maybe give with Girona is Girona is a growing city. It's not Barcelona, it's not Rome, it's not Dublin, London, but it still is a city. So there is a little bit of riding in traffic to get out of the city. So if you haven't cycled before, that can be intimidating. 
Also, you do need to ride for maybe 15, 20 minutes to kind of get out of the larger city confines before you get to the beautiful picturesque roads. So if you have a limit with your fitness and, you know, you're only really thinking of maybe doing a 30 minute or 40 minute cycle, Girona maybe isn't the best spot. But if you're slightly more intermediate or if you're tempted to get an electric bike, that can get you outside that city confines pretty fast. And is it easy enough? Would you recommend people who do have bikes here and they're going on, let's say, this recreational family-based entry-level activity, that they bring the bikes or that they hire at the other end? I think hiring is a better move if you're entry-level for you know, someone that's a you know, recreational or advanced cyclist or triathlete often you have an affinity with your own bike and you like the position on your own bike, you sat your own saddle, your own pedals. But for somebody who's going with a family or just wants to experience cycling for the first time, it doesn't make that much sense for the... It's quite a lot of inconvenience traveling with your own bike. And then you need specialist equipment, you need specialist suitcases for traveling with your own bike. So it's quite a lot of hassle for the payback when Girona is a town that's famed for its cycling infrastructure. So you've numerous cycling shops, service course, eat, sleep, cycle, all inside Girona, which will rent a bike on a day rate of maybe 30 to 50 euro, depending on the spec you go for. Okay. And once you get out there, are there sort of designated cycling tracks where you will just be with other cyclists on a, a loop or on a tour? No, the best way to find these sort of, I suppose as you're calling them, tracks is Strava. Strava is very heavily used in the cycling community. So if you go onto Strava and you explore by region. That's an app. That's the app. The the app, yeah, which is brilliant for walking, running and cycling. You go onto Strava and you can download the maps onto your phone and then you can just follow it turn by turn and it'll bring you around this route. But there's no segmented cycle paths where you're away from cars unless you move to more the hard pack gravel stuff, which again, Strava is brilliant for that but they're also quite well signposted around Girona so you can go onto one of those and they'd be really suitable if you had young kids who were just starting to cycle and you didn't want to put them into the traffic that'd be a really fun way to you know share that experience with them and what in your opinion for this group that we're looking at which would be core listeners to this podcast what sort of length of time and would you take breaks so if you were going for say what's the ideal time to go for a, a, a trip that's going to be predominantly cycling orientated if you were a family I think Girona is a place where if you're coming from Europe, it's quite accessible. It's a flight into Barcelona or into Girona and you're not losing that much time. But if you're coming in from the US to one of these places, I always like to factor in at least one day per hour of time change. So for me, if I'm coming into you know Chicago with a six hour time difference from where I am in Dublin, any stay under six days for me there is something I never really try and do. But into a place like Girona, that wouldn't really be a consideration. I think you lose a day on the travel either side. So the shortest trip I've ever done there is five days. And that's kind of maybe a, this beautiful food, this beautiful wine. There's a lot of historic sites and beautiful walks because Girona is a, it's a historic town that is quite unique because it's circled by a defensive wall still. So the defensive wall is above what we call the Barry Vale, the old part of Girona City, which is really well preserved. So you can climb up to the top of this defensive wall and there's a beautiful walk all the way along it. So I think it's about a six, seven kilometer walk around the one side of the town. But amazing scenery all along this walk, breathtaking views. It's really safe, really well signposted and lit. And there's little sort of segues off the walk where you can go in and see various sites of historical importance along the way. 
I would give at least one day to do that type stuff. So if you're going for any less than five days, you're kind of missing out on some of the, the wonders of Girona. And is it is it sort of wise if you're doing this sort of active holiday and you haven't necessarily done it before that you would start off with a day and then maybe have a break and then or, or build up your time on the bike? On the bike, yeah, I, I think you definitely want to be diving in because if you're doing too much too early, you can just... We talked about that contrast at the start where it's, you call it like the après ski, where you ski all day and then you really enjoy the beers at the evening. But there's a point of diminishing marginal returns with that, I'm sure. Yeah. I've never been on skiing, but if you ski for 10 hours hard that day, you don't really enjoy the beers that much in the evening because you're too fatigued to enjoy the beers. Yeah. So based on your current fitness level, you can kind of assess it for yourself. If you haven't ridden very much and you go and ride for four hours in the hills, you're not going to enjoy the the tapas and, you know, the local beers and local wine that night. And you're going to be too tired to experience any of the, the walking around Girona. And it is a city that is dominated by walking. So if somebody has mobility difficulties, it's maybe not the best destination. It's not accessible by car. Once you get into the old town, you're going to park in your car and Friends always ask me, oh, should I rent a car in Barcelona? I'm like, don't rent a car. Just get the train into Girona from Barcelona. Because if you rent a car, you're going to find it difficult to park it and you're not going to use it once for the duration of your trip. Okay, well, I, I love the sound of Girona and I'm definitely going to consider that. And it seems to be a really great destination for groups that are starting off family groups and, and it has a lot going for it. So the, And it's going to be very bike friendly. So that's one great travel destination. And what we'll do is we'll include details of all that Anthony's mentioning in the accompanying piece on the website. So you'll be able to click on links. We'll put down the shops that Anthony recommends where you can get bike hire. All of those things will be on the accompanying uh, article. So let's move on to your second place where you would suggest we, we have some recreational cycling fun. I, and actually a more accessible spot. I would say if you're grading cyclists, beginner, intermediate and advanced, Girona's maybe an intermediate for those reasons that it's difficult to get out of the city. It has quite undulating terrain. A very beginner friendly spot would be Majorca. Majorca, island town. It has a very temperate climate all year round very friendly and they really rely on the cycle tourism here so because they rely on the cycling tourism it's almost like cycling has hit critical mass on this small island that almost everybody knows somebody whose business is dependent on cyclists so we have this mutual respect which just you know penetrates the entire community where cars give you huge amounts of space when they're passing you. Everybody's happy to see you from cafe owners to high-end restaurant owners. There's just an acceptance that people walk around in Lycra and cycling as part of everyday life. Beautiful place. If you haven't, have you been to Mallorca? I have. Beautiful spot. Where did you stay? I, I forget where I stayed. It was on a, 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 it was on a press trip. And what really struck me was the quality of the roads. It, 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 they were like carpets. There yeah. were these beautiful carpets and dozens of cyclists all the time and mixed groups. It seems to be quite a varied, you'd have the elite cyclists and families. Yeah, Bradley Wiggins, the former Tour de France winner, described Mallorca as scale electrics for cyclists. That You just put the pieces together and no matter what you want to do, you can add a little scale electrics loop and you can take in a beautiful climb like Sacalabro, which is breathtaking views. Or you can avoid those climbs altogether, take out that little link in the scale electric set and do a totally flat coastal route, which is suitable for absolute beginners. But the beautiful thing about Mallorca, if you stay in a town like Porta Palenza at the far end of the island, 
it's a little bit of an extra commute to get from the airport to Porta Valenza, but easy to get a taxi, maybe 40 euro down to it. But as soon as you get out in the day, that's it. Like within five meters of leaving the house, you're on the beautiful cycle paths. You're on the coast. You're close to the cafes if you want to stop, close to the ice cream parlors if you want to stop. Where Girona and other places I've been don't have that. There's a little bit of navigating traffic and a little bit of almost hardship before you start the adventure. But with this, you're straight in, which makes it very suitable for going with young kids or if it's a couple who just want to try cycling and haven't you know, previously cycled, it's not intimidating. And tell me, I know that you and your partner have, have a really great life. Tell me what would be the advantage of, say, a couple who are listening to this and they've never cycled before and they're thinking, okay, we've no kids. We, we'd like, what's the advantage of going on a cycling trip together? It's some of the stuff we touched on. I find that I've never liked the kind of idea that of structured fun. Okay, the fun is going to start at nine o'clock and then it's going to stop at 11 o'clock. And this is our period for having fun. And I've never liked that conformity to a tour guide or conformity to checking out regular sites. So when you're on the bike, you do have that ability to explore. But you also have brilliant stories from throughout the day from... It's a cliche at this point that it's more about the journey than the destination. But on the bike, it really is that. It's about the journey all day. And, you know, me and you could set off and you're on the electric bike and I'm on a normal pedal powered bike. The electric bike becomes almost a handicap like in golf then because we've different fitness levels. We're different ages, but we can still go out and we can join it together. And then we can share stories along the way where that beautiful town that you never anticipated or experienced, it was never in any of the guidebooks, but you went through that on the way to Palma. So you're going from Porta Palenza to Palma. The goal is to get to Palma. Most people will get a bus or get a taxi to Palma and then they'll say, oh, Palma's cool. But you and me will set out on our bikes and we'll go through Palenza's town, their old historic village in Palenza on the way there. We'll maybe swing by day and we'll find a bakery that's run by ex-professional cyclists and you get chatting to him and the journey becomes what you remember, not the destinations. Wow, that's absolutely, you're actually making my mouth water. What sort of gear should I be looking to invest in if I am going to go for, you know, five days in Mallorca? Uh, what, what, what's the minimum I should pack in my bag? I don't think there's much specialist kit you need at all. I know some girls will suffer with the pressure of sitting on the saddle. If I know my partner Sarah suffered with that quite a bit at the start, if you're riding anything more than 30 minutes, the saddle's not really very well designed for female anatomy. So a nice pair of padded cycling shorts can help a lot with that. Outside of that, there's really not a lot of kit you need. If you're renting a bike, you know, you'll normally get an option to rent a helmet with that. If you're a newbie or it makes sense for most people to wear a helmet just in case the worst happens. A pair of gloves, again, if you're a newbie and you happen to fall, you're most likely going to put your hands down and you're going to skin your hands. So a pair of gloves can save you a lot of picking pieces of debris out of the palms of your hand for the rest of your evening. Apart from that, there's really not a lot. There's not a lot of obstacles or barriers to cycling. It is quite inclusive. And again, going to a cycling-friendly destination like Mallorca, you're going to have loads of choices to rent bikes. And there are a lot of competitors as well, which means the prices are quite cheap, especially off-season. Mallorca is another place, again, where I'm never a fan of going. And maybe this is just me, but I never love going to these places in the height of their seasons. I always like going to a place in off-season. Now, obviously, that's not possible for everything. You can't go skiing in off-season because there's no snow. But for cycling, it, it is possible. So I love to go to these places where it's not thronged with tourists, where you can sit in a cafe and the waiter will actually stop and chat with you because they're not rushed off their feet. 
And when you take destinations like Mallorca, they're famed for cycling and outdoor activity, but they also are famed for a little bit of the party life, holiday maker life, budget holiday life. And that will undoubtedly, it's great for the economy and great for the businesses. It changes everyone's demeanor on the island. The, the motorists are a little bit more rushed and a little bit more frustrated. They're all going for flights and the waiters and service staff, they're not as ease. And I like to go on these sort of trips to decompress, to unplug. So I like to take my time to have a coffee in the morning and I normally eat out rather than cook. So I like to get to know the waiters. I like to go back to the same places and I've always found off-season a lot more attractive for me. And off-season will be when? Up until May. So you're looking January, February, March, April, and then, yeah, I'd say May, June, July, August is kind of high season. So I would start going back any time from end of September, so October, November, December again. And would it be would it be feasible in January, February, or would it be cold? It's a little bit chilly in the mornings in both Girona. They're kind of at the same latitude. So Girona and Mallorca, a little bit chilly in the morning. So if you start too early, like if you're trying to go and you're a remote worker and you're trying to get your session in early, maybe it's a little bit cold in the mornings when you're started. But I'm still talking it's shorts, jersey, and maybe a light jacket. It's not like you're going out and it's two degrees. But if you wait until like 11 o'clock and the sun comes up and you kind of get up and you go to the bakery and have a lazy cross on Americano, you get the newspaper, go down to the coffee shop, and then you start your ride at 11 o'clock, you know, it's plenty warm for shorts and jersey most of the time, 17, 18 degrees. That sounds really amazing. And do you have to have special shoes for cycling? I would use special shoes, but most people when they're getting started won't. You'll just use flat pedals, which work perfectly well with your runners. But if you're a little bit more advanced and you want to rent a road bike, you'll have special shoes to clip into that. But I think when people get to that level where they're renting bikes, they're kind of aware of the different pedal options from Shimano to Campag to Look, and they have, they're have bringing their purpose-built shoes for that. It's not something you dabble with if you're just going okay. for a bit of cycling. Yes. Okay, so that brings us down. I'm, I'm already seeing this as sort of an alternative to ski in the January, February, March. I think it's a great, yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it. And and also, you're going into a warmer climb, breaking sort of, you know, if you're in one of the the wintry uh, Northern European or Northern American places. So, so this could be a great option. What's your third place that you could recommend our, our wannabe, would-be cyclists going? It was a place I was a little bit apprehensive about traveling to, and it was Colombia. So I went to Colombia a couple of years ago, and like there's nothing more middle to upper class than a white male on a carbon fiber bike. So I was worried about flaunting this sort of it's not like it's an exuberance in most Western countries, but in some South American countries, it is a little bit of an exuberance having a 15,000 uh, euro bike riding around. So I was a little bit worried having just watched Narcos on Netflix <laughs> heading to Medellin, but it was absolutely nothing like you've been taught Medellin is, like the press have conditioned us to thinking Medellin is. It was a beautiful, welcoming place with the most amazing looking both male and females I've ever seen in my life. Every girl that I seen on the street, it was like Shakira, Shakira, Shakira. It was a phenomenal place, amazing culture. But Mallorca, Girona, Lake Garda, all these places, they're beautiful, but they're very similar. Getting off the plane and riding a bike from Medellin, it was like stepping into Jurassic Park. It was like being transported to a different world. And give me a flavor uh, and would it, would this also be suitable for maybe the people who have a little bit of biking history and just want to change and, and want a bit of adventure? 
Yeah, 100%. I think you need a little bit of experience going to Medellin. It's not as polished as Western countries. If you're, you know, 10 kilometers out the road and you have a problem in Girona, Mallorca, you're going to get a friendly motorist will come along and, you know, or another cyclist will ask if you need help. Medellin, you do need, or anywhere around Colombia, you need a little bit of self-sufficiency. And you need to be able to look after your own bike, but you also need a little bit of fitness because you're dealing with some pretty decent climbs to get almost anywhere. Medellin is almost in a bowl and I stayed right at the center of it. So no matter what direction you go, you're climbing out of this bowl because it's surrounded by mountains. Wow. Wow. And what's the quality of of your breakfast, your lunch, your dinner, your social aspect to the cycling tour in Colombia compared to, say, Europe? coffee if you're a coffee lover like Colombia's famed for its coffee from they export in some of the best coffee brands all over the world so if you're a coffee fan it's breathtaking you're going to where the beans are grown you're talking to the local farmers about the nuances of how they choose coffee beans why some coffee bean harvests are better than other coffee bean harvests and you're really beginning to understand what makes a good coffee versus what makes kind of a sweet bitter taste in coffee so if you're a coffee nerd and you like to geek out on it, I couldn't recommend this any higher. But also the food, it's it's totally different to, again, comparing it to that standard European experience of you know roughly what you're going to get from France to Spain to Italy. It's quite similar unless you're going to speciality restaurants. But Colombia is totally different. I was eating fruits that I don't even know what they were. I'm like... How have I been on this earth for almost 40 years at that point and I've never had this fruit before? What is it? I, I don't even know what it is. And everything seemed fresher and everything seemed like it was homemade. It's not as wealthy of a country as the European countries, but it's definitely, it's not a third world country. So it's, it's developing at the moment and the food, phenomenal. Have you been? No, no, I you haven't to been. Go, to go. I, absolutely. Well, you've got me. My, my interest peaked amazingly. What about language? How how is is there a language barrier if you were doing your cycling tour there, or how do you navigate that? Yeah, a little bit. So I had a friend who well, he became a friend, Thomas from Cycling Colombia. If anyone is heading out there, I'd highly recommend going through a travel agent. They're not a travel agent, like a, a cycling tour holiday provider. And so you look after your own flights and then he picks you up on the far end and he'll say to you, okay, here's the routes we're going to cycle today. And he'll map out the routes you're going to cycle. So it's taken a lot of the guesswork out of it. He's kind of played that game of trial and error because you can go out to a place like Girona and you can kind of experiment without any consequences. But Colombia, it does have a little bit of a violent history. And while the, the violence now is largely suppressed, there still is areas, maybe more so than Spain or Italy, that you don't want to wander into. Like there was one I went into, it was called Comono 13. And this was a historic battleground between the narcos and the police. So I was saying to my friend, like, I really want to go check this out because I've been reading a lot about it. And he's like, it's not possible for a gringo to go here. I, I wanted to go in the evening. And he's like, it's not possible for a gringo. And because you can't fit in as the thing, you know, you can go to Spain or I can, you know, you can go to Dublin, you can go to London. It's possible to fit in. It's possible to, to wear clothes like the locals, you know, put on a little bit of a Conor McGregor swagger and all of a sudden you look like a local, but you can't fit in with, as a white Caucasian in Colombia, you have a different uniform in your skin. So you're marked out straight away. Like I met my friend the first day and I wore flip-flops, shorts and a t-shirt and a pair of sunglasses. And he greeted me with, oh, so you got the gringo memo and you wore the gringo uniform. 
And you spotted a mile away. So I went to this Komono 13 with him eventually and he arranged for a friend of his to join us at Komono 13. And the friend actually came as an armed guard for Komono 13 and brought us around in the evening. It's a fascinating place. They've had a urban rejuvenation project in this area that's heavily been driven by art. So there's the most amazing street art all the way through it. And the town is so steep. Can you imagine a hill so steep? that the state have installed escalators into the middle of the town. So you're getting escalators around the town. It's a phenomenal experience surrounded by this amazing art. So if you go there, during the day, it's a lot more accessible and you can walk around there. Just be a little bit on your guard. But at night, if you do want to go, you're maybe going to have to seek out some sort of, you know, almost private <laughs> private security force to go with you. I love the idea of contacting a, a bespoke uh, cyclist mentor, if you like. Who did he? Would he help? So, if my group went with experienced cyclists, would he help with cycle hire and? Um, just the wherewithal of, would he accompany you during the day? Yeah, so me and my partner to reference Sarah, we had an amazing trip that was planned by him. So he picked us up at the airport and we had a eight-day trip where he planned out each day with us. So his wife drove behind us in the Jeep and she'd carry our bags, she'd carry our refreshments and stuff for the day. And then a group of about seven of us, we set off each day and we got to explore Columbia into the jungle and we'd stay in a rainforest one night and we'd stay in like a little medieval town the next night and each day he was peppering in these brilliant local experiences so you might ride for two hours and then you'd stop at a, a cafe and he'd have the history of the cafe or you know the, the feudal history of this town and why it's culturally significant so it was like a it was like going on a history tour true columbia on two wheels beautiful one of the best things i've ever experienced on the bike that sounds absolutely incredible are we talking about breaking the bank or not Getting to Colombia is expensive, but once you get to Colombia, the cost of living in Colombia is a lot, lot cheaper than Ireland. So you're looking for like an, an Airbnb in Colombia. I don't think it was much more than 30 or 40 euro for a night. So again, if you're going in with a company like Colombia Cycling, who I'll send you the link to Kevin, you can share it with your listeners. It's it kind of dependent on the type of experience. So we'll have five-star experiences and four-star experiences. If you want to go and experience like you're really into your wine and you're really into your food, if you wanted to go on an experience like this, he'd suggest, okay, Kevin, you don't actually cycle too much, so we're going to pair you on an electric bike and then we're going to go on the five-star experience. So you'll stay in beautiful hotels and experience the best restaurants Colombia has to offer. So that's obviously going to be a little bit more expensive than if you go on something that's a little bit more rough and ready where you're staying in. We still stayed in beautiful places, but one of the nights, we were in the jungle and there's a reality that no matter how nice the place is in the jungle it's still in the jungle so we had cockroaches and all sort of creatures on the on the bedroom floor and my girlfriend Sarah was losing her mind <laughs> and but she she kept it in the end she she, she kept the mind yeah the mind was still there she got through it in the end but it was a it was a scarring experience for her she doesn't like cockroaches <laughs> But overall, you'd say she still loved that trip. Yeah, phenomenal. And she'd only started cycling then as well. So she had some running background and she was relatively fit. But this was the first time I'd say that she ever rode a bike for more than 90 minutes and ever rode back-to-back days. So that kind of gives you an insight into the level you need that it's it's quite accessible if you're living healthily and you have a can-do attitude. And you have the electric bikes now, which is probably a game changer in the whole thing. Unbelievable. It's the biggest advent it's it's democratized cycling yeah. you know no matter what 
weight you are, no matter what height you are, no matter what age yeah. you are, you can go and you can experience stuff that previously only elite athletes could. Okay, and to finish, just one one or two things to really warm, we're all warmed up about taking a cycling trip, but one thing to finish that we would, if we'd never done this before, this is going to be uh, part of the experience. If you go to a place like this, I'm thinking Colombia, I think it's nice to have one day on the trip that you build up towards, the big day, the big achievement. So for me, I've ridden the bike for years and I've cycled some of the iconic climbs in the world, but Sarah had never ridden these iconic climbs. So we had one day that we built up to when we rode the world's longest climb. So it was called Alto de Letras. So it went from sea level up to almost 4,000 meters in altitude. And it was 84 kilometers from the bottom of the mountain to the top of the mountain. Now it takes you all day to do this and you stop halfway up and you have a coffee and you ride for another couple of hours and you'll stop and you'll have, you know, a, a sandwich, a bocadillo, with, you know, a local sandwich with some eggs and some cheese on it. But the sense of achievement at the end of the day at 4,000 meters and Sarah still looked back on the pictures from that day and then the picture transports you back to the experience and then at the top, you're staying in an environment that's totally different to sea level. Like the difference between 4,000 meters and sea level, they're totally different habitats. Different animals live up there. Different vegetation grows up there. But it's an experience that marks out the trip. And when you think back to a trip like Colombia now, automatically, I think about that marquee day, that day we rode Alto de Letras. Wow, I, I, I really, you've, you've got me excited. And I think that's the whole point of this whole thing with travel is, is to change your perception. And I really want to thank you. Thank you from the bottom of the heart. That is absolutely brilliant. And I think it's given us a lot to think about. And uh, hooray for cycling. Thank you for having me, Kev. Mm -hmm.